What's up, everybody? This is Jake Arthur from Locked on Colts and HorseshoeHuddle.com. And I'm joined by my good friend, Cole Thompson, who is the host of Just Saying It on SportsMap Radio and covers the enemy of the weekend, really of the whole season right now, uh, the Houston Texans for Texans Daily on Fan Nation. What is up, my man? Thanks for joining us. If we were to go back in March, the last time we saw each other at the Combine, and said, hey, these two teams are going to draft rookie quarterbacks, and they're both going to end up getting brand new head coaches, one offensive and one defensive, and they're going to be playing for a playoff spot in Week 18, I would have called us crazy, said, let's buy another round of shots, because at this point, (laughs) we're going off the wagon. That's what would have been my opinion, but... Jake, that's the beautiful game of football. Here we are. Mm-hmm. We have a must-see matchup on Saturday night. Also, first time the Texans since November 3rd of 2022 won't be playing in the 1 o'clock schedule, which automatically is just a huge <laughs> win for Texans fans. Yeah, I mean, everybody gets to see C.J. Stroud in primetime. The, the Colts have been flexed into national spots a couple times now. They didn't originally have any, uh, any primetime games, but Steelers, meaningful game. They're flexed again. Hopefully they could take advantage one more time, uh, at least for the Colts' sake of it. But, man, how did we get here? I I mean, because both teams have overachieved. Like, Zach and I just discussed on on our our episode, even if the Colts don't win this one, the season is – you can already consider it a success because they were not supposed to be 9-7 and going into the final week and – going into the playoffs and perhaps AFC South champions, if they win and the Jags lose same exact thing can be said for the Texans. I mean, these two teams, when they played just last year, week 18 at Lucas oil stadium, that was for draft positioning. That, that game had no ramifications in terms of success for the season. Like, here's the funny thing, though, Jake, if you talk to an average Texan fan, they'll probably say, hey, we got to nine and eight this year. We were expected to have the third overall pick. You know, everyone was saying how stupid we were to trade away the number one pick next year for Will Anderson because of, you know, pass rushers from Alabama that are going to be bona fide superstars simply grow on trees. And then you'll have like that other small group of fan base that has drastically changed their expectations because CJ Stroud started to ball out. You started to see free agents pick up some, a little bit of steam and you watched as the Texans went from being a team that was supposed to get to five wins, six wins now flirt with 10 wins. And they're like, if we don't win, it's a failed season. It is just a dumpster fire. Nick Casario needs to be fired. I mean, it's like, dude, this team last year, screwed you over from the number one pick and it was the biggest blessing of all because of what you landed in the process including D'Amico Ryans as your head coach and you have a bright future just shut up and accept the fact that you were a year ahead like that's the way most of my brain works at this point and I feel like that the Colts fans are very humble and modest when it comes to all the elements that hit their team. You know, this was a roster that dealt with at the start of the year, the Jonathan Taylor situation with him being on the PUP list. And then you not having Anthony Richardson from what was it week four on. And then you turn to Gardner Minshew Mm -hmm. who has experience working with Shane Steichen, but still you went and drafted a franchise quarterback at number four, instead of going through the mediocrity of quarterback carousel, which lo and behold, here you are again. And so like, I think we just have to appreciate This time last year, we were talking about rebuilding. This time this year, we're talking about retooling. What are the faults for these two teams that will keep them out of the playoffs? And what are the needs that need to be addressed going into the offseason? Which is a big, big difference compared to what we've been in the last few seasons. Yeah, both teams have, I mean, if they lose and fans are angry, both teams have 
rated high expectations. They don't get their coverage, Jake. Just yeah. be, let's be honest here. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, you, you become the victim of the expectations you create in both teams. Like you said, outkick their coverage. But the expectation now going into 2024, whichever team goes in or doesn't is going to be playoffs. Both teams will be expected to do that. Uh, so for the Texans, myself included initially before I started, you know, kind of boning up on the Texans again lately, this team has got to be drastically different from yeah. week two when when the Colts, I think, beat them 31 to 20. Yeah. And with Anthony Richardson in their first quarter, it looked like the Colts were going to put up 40 plus. Like it did not look like it was going to be close. Colts got to CJ Stroud six times, but ever since then, CJ Stroud, you know, Locked up offensive rookie of the year long ago. Don't tell Los Angeles Ram fans that they still think right. Puka has a shot. They they yeah, still think that the know. wide receiver has a shot in a sure. quarterback driven award market. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he also became an MVP candidate. I mean, it's not going to happen, but he entered the discussion before he got hurt. So tell us, I, I, I we may not know what to expect in this game at all, but like, how have the Texans changed? How is this not the same team from week two? So there's a few things we can start off when it comes to the pass rush for Indianapolis. The reason they were able to get back there so often was number one, Stroud was under a hundred reps into his debut as the Texan starter. And so my rule of thought is you need about 600 reps of live game material before we start to really analyze what you do. That's just always been the way that I felt. So when you watch him throw it 25 yards down the field or wait for a receiver to get open for a second wind as he maneuvers outside the pocket, that ultimately leads to pressures and sack rates going up. And so we never felt comfortable with the offense. Now, case in point, there were four starters on the offensive line who were out for that game. There was no Larry Tunsil, no Titus Howard, no Juice Scruggs, uh, no Michael Dieter, no um, no Shaq Mason. Uh, Shaq Mason was the only starter in that game. and so. Jarrett Patterson already out for the year with a uh, with a season-ending injury, and Josh Jones, who was another starter, has been inactive the last several games. So you already were playing with a makeshift offensive line to begin your year. But Stroud really brought this to our attention this past week at media session when he started talking about what were some areas he had grown in, and I think the biggest one was don't always go for the big time play. You've watched him now mature enough to where he's sitting in the pocket, realizing I can get. Nico Collins open 25 yards down the field, but the safety is rolling over the top. My quarterback's playing in man coverage. He's blanketed on his hip. If I underthrow or overthrow that ball, that's a turnover. And that leads to immediately us ending the drive. I have Damian Pierce in the flats and I can turn it up field, get a gain of six, reset, keep the drive alive, keep momentum at an all-time high and still have an opportunity to score. And so last week you saw that where there was an out route run by Damian Pierce and there was a post pattern run by Nico Collins, 25 yards down the field. You had, I think it was Terrell Edmonds over the top. He goes to Pierce in the flats. Pierce gets a six yard gain. Eight plays later, they're in the end zone. They're now up 10, nothing over Tennessee. So it's the maturation of understanding what the defense is giving you. And this is a very good Colts defense. They've always been able to attack the quarterback. And I want to take nothing away from that. But the ability now to trust what you have in your tight end, in the flats, what you have in your running back out of the backfield, what you have with your intermediate slot receiver going eight yards instead of 14 yards, you don't always need the highlight play. You need the smart play that keeps you alive. And that's an area where you've drastically seen Stroud improve. And defensively, 
I just think it's maturation, plain and simple. Uh, I mean, Will Anderson now is the all-time leader in Texans rookie sack record. Henry Toa Toa has stepped up and become more fluid in man coverage when it comes to pass coverage. I think you've seen a big-time growth from guys like Sheldon Rankins and Jerry Hughes stepping up in place of Jonathan Grenard. So there's a combination of old-timers versus newcomers, and they seem to blend extremely well to where you don't feel like you're out of concept with one player. Like opposite of Steven Nelson is a young gun in Derek Stingley. But it's a good thing to have the young gun because if he may be a little more risky when it comes to his play style, but you still have that veteran on the other side that will make sure it's a one-man matchup. Now, you, you've said a lot of standout names, but the unfortunate part of this for Houston, the Colts are pretty close to full health. They, yeah. they didn't rule anyone out as of Thursday. Uh, which is the both teams' final day of practice for the game being Saturday instead. Houston, on the other hand, really banged up. You know, the entire defensive front was on the injury report. Laramie Tunsil. I mean, you're you're there every day. What what's what's the gauge there on injuries? Like, who do you expect to maybe not be able to make it? All right, so here's the good news. Uh, LT, they never put it on the radar, but just for the listeners, sorry, Colts fans, I know you hate hearing this, but uh, the all-pro left tackle is going to play. He usually That's misses rough. <laughs> yeah, he, he usually misses Wednesdays or this week's Tuesday's practices. It's usually a veteran's rest day, though they don't list it as one, but he usually comes back in limited capacity on Thursday, full go Friday. Uh, he was back at practice yesterday, so I fully expect him to be good to go on Sunday, I mean, on Saturday. Robert Woods is another one. He's a veteran wide receiver that usually takes that veteran day on Wednesdays off. Was limited, uh, was not a practice on Thursday, was limited today. So I do think because if he was limited last week, he also will play. Got four catches for like 60 yards, if I'm not mistaken. And then Will Anderson is probably the hot name that everyone wants to pay attention to because this is a player that you traded away your first round pick for and your third round pick for next year. He is expected to play according to people that I've spoken to. Uh, could be on a snap count. So you could see a lot of rotations with Derek Barnett and with uh, Jonathan Grenard if he's able to come healthy, if Jerry Hughes goes. But he is expected to play in some capacity. Sheldon Rankins probably will play. Malik Collins, I don't think will. I think that based off what we've seen so far, him missing last week's game, it's very risky to lose a defensive lineman that potentially you could utilize in your favor, especially if you're playing a run-heavy team like the Cleveland Browns in the next stage. You may want to sit him out this week. I think Rankins will play. He practiced at a limited capacity last week. He's good to go. I think as of now, got that big fumble recovery for a 13-yard touchdown on Sunday. Jonathan Grenard is the wild card. And this ultimately, I think, goes into my prediction too. If Grenard plays, then you're going to get pressure on Gardner Minshew. If Grenard doesn't play, I think that that gives the Colts an advantage. This has been a breakout player this year. We saw a little bit of it in 2021. Gets hurt last season. His numbers diminish back up. Double-digit sacks for the first time in his career. Leading sack machine. Number one player. Top five in the AFC in pressure rate. One of the best when it comes to quarterback hurries. He has not practiced the last two weeks. And so now there is a sense that potentially you are going to be missing out on your number one pass rusher, thus putting much more pressure on Will Anderson and uh, Jerry Hughes to have to step up and Derek Barnett to be that rotational guy. Offensively, Noah Brown probably not playing based off the people that I've spoken to. Everyone else should be good. So LT playing, I would say Will's probably playing. Robert Woods is probably playing. Rankins is probably playing. I'm 50-50 right now on Grenard. Grenard, I know, wants to play. Let's just get that out of the way. Grenard wants to be out there because he realizes what this game is all about. But 
yeah, the Colts are full go when the Texans are. We're here, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're not dead, you know, but, but we've been dead all season. And here we are still at almost 10 wins. Yeah. I, quite, guys with the questionable tag tend to play against the Colts. And this one, again, for what the game means, I expect, you know, the same thing as, as long as guys are physically capable of playing. Well, I mean, Jake, it's a rivalry too. Like you got to realize yeah. that last year, whether or not Houston fans want to admit it, they were pissed that the Colts allowed Houston to walk away with the win. They wanted nothing more than Indy to get that win so they controlled the draft board when it came to mm-hmm. the entire process. So they hate Indy. They hate <laughs> Indy. The only team that they hate more right now is Tennessee because Amy Adams Strunk decided to wear those beautiful, wonderful, highlight H-Town Blue uniforms and just shove it up the Texans' butt. Like, And Houston won that game, and they were so happy – not because if they beat Tennessee, because they beat the Oilers logo. They, they were so, like, it's right up there with the rivalry. So I would highly expect if you're 80% available, if you're 60% available, even on a snap count, you're going to suit up and play in this game. It really hurts to have to root for. Now, you, you know the outcome of Colts Texans first, but it's really going to hurt to have to root for Tennessee against the Jaguars, isn't it? I don't know, man. Cause like, okay, here's the thing. So like, I'm not a native Texan. Like I was born in Colorado. I did not live here when the Oilers were around. We moved here right before the Texans became a big thing. So I don't have that relationship with the Oilers. Like other people do. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that if they were to wear those H town blue though, mm, I would, (laughs) you know what? I'd rather just go ahead and play Buffalo. I'd rather go to Kansas city. I'd much rather go to Miami. I'd much rather go anywhere else for a playoff game then have to root for the Oilers to win that game against Jacksonville. But they can only wear it twice a year. They wore it against Atlanta, got a dub, wore it against the Texans, suck it losers. We all know what <laughs> we stand by. So they can't wear those uniforms. I don't really have a dog in the fight. I think Tennessee, let's just talk, oh, talk about that game more fast. If Trevor Lawrence plays, I think it's a done deal. Just go ahead and wrap it up. Even yeah. though Lawrence has been far from what we expected this year, which is kind of weird because we all – thought the same thing, MVP caliber season, you add in a number one wide receiver in Calvin Ridley. This is going to only benefit your team, but you're good enough to beat the Titans. CJ Beathard playing, they won last week with CJ Beathard. I mean, it was Carolina, but they won last week with CJ Beathard. So whether or not it happens that way, I think it's just knowing you're in the playoff right now with what was expected at the start of the year, with how much animosity was surrounding these two teams and what plagued the teams Throughout the entire season, whether it be for Jonathan Taylor's contract extension holdout to losing Richardson to Houston losing Tank Dell to losing Titus Howard after signing him to a long-term extension, your former first-round pick in Kenyon Green looking more and more like a casualty than a possibility. All that aside, I think it just shows you that ultimately when you hire the right coach, that saves your job. And by the way, Chris Ballard is still one of the best GMs in the NFL. And I got really sick and tired of hearing from the casual fan last offseason how bad he was and how he was going to get fired. Like, this is a reason why you just peg your hat and say, I don't know football. Shut up. Chris Ballard is doing right. Because Chris Ballard's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he he has his warts, and there's some things he could probably improve. But the guy can create, he a, he can create a roster that can survive. Uh, you know, it's if it's going to be an absolute disaster, it's not normally because of the players, but uh, so then I I got just a couple more for you. So this Colts team is obviously drastically different as well from week two. 
Sure, they they handily won in that one, but you got a new quarterback in this one. The offense has evolved. Jonathan Taylor is here this time. What do you think the Colts really ought to attack from Houston, whether it's offensive or defensive? And then ultimately, how do you see this whole game playing out? I think it's the middle of the field. I think no matter how you want to phrase it, whether it be with trying to get that second push from JT going up into the for a five yard gain or a seven yard gain, or whether that be sending a guy like Alec Pierce across the middle, the linebackers still are a weak point in coverage, whether it be Denzel Perriman or Blake Cashman or Henry Toa Toa, there's been improvements. I mean, I, I have to say it, there's been massive improvements in that area. But there still is a glaring weak point when it comes to the nickel defender at times or when it comes to the linebacker play coverage. So if you can find a way to maybe get like a pulling guard to take number six out of the play, that's going to open up the A gap and allow JT to push forward for a gain of six or a gain of seven. And the clock's going to keep on rolling and that's going to put pressure on a rookie quarterback to have to come out there and make an immediate play because you can't go ahead and hope that you just have a big time blunder from Indianapolis. Same that goes for the passing attack. You work the middle of the field. You start making sure that you are watching where the linebackers are. Even if it's minimal gains, it's enough to keep momentum and the inertia moving forward to where you're sitting there and you're saying, we may walk away with three points, but if we trust our defense to get a three and out, three is enough for us to survive. And it goes right back to what we're saying with Ballard. Ballard has built a roster countless times, whether or not the Carson Wentz thing worked out or the Matt Ryan thing worked out. He's built a roster to where you at least think it's manageable. It's survivable. And now you're at full go. You are fully healthy. You added in some good players via uh, the, the the free agency last offseason. You've seen the growth and development of these guys, and you do have Jonathan Taylor. The one downfall I will say for Indianapolis is that Houston drastically has turned the corner when it comes to their run defense. They were putrid last year. It was it was by far, and I don't say this lightly because of, and I speak in absolutes, I better be damn sure of it. It was by far the worst run defense I've ever seen in the history of the NFL period. They were awful last year. They're third in the league right now when it comes to yards after contact and yards allowed per game. So you're really going to have to trust and target probably the outside. You want to go up against your nickel defenders, your, I mean, your cornerbacks, you want your safeties having to kind of come down in the box and play like a human missile firing and missing at the legs. That way it opens up another rushing lane. That's ultimately the case when it comes to, I think for Indianapolis and Tempo, 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 because the one thing you don't want to see happen is who's the starting left tackle for this game? Is it going to be Freeland or is it going to be Ryman? Uh, Ryman. Okay. The one thing you don't want to see is Ryman get blown back, but he takes down Will Anderson and Anderson still just grabs the leg of Garner Minshew to where he can't move. Like that's the one thing. So the tempo has got to be consistent, poignant, right on the money, never feeling like you're taking a step back, just always seeing positive growth. And as long as you do that, you walk away with points. Houston, on the flip side, they have weapons, but they are missing, I think, one element, whether that be in the slot with a Tank Dell, whether that be with an outside receiver like a Noah Brown who's going to force defensive backs to play over the top. We know that Juju Brents is probably going to be locked in with number 12 and Nico Collins the entire game. So that kind of takes away, and he's been actually really, really impressive. I was very pleased with what I saw from him coming out of Kansas State. It's nice to see that he works in Gus Bradley's cover three system extremely well. But if you take him out of the game and you're forced to now just do dink and dunk passes to Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary and Brevin Jordan and Dalton Schultz, eventually it's going to lead to a punt. 
And a putt might be the difference in this game. It really could, Jake, if we're being honest. Like, it could Mm -hmm. be the reason why Indianapolis wins by three or they lose by three. So I am, again, sticking with my moral here. I believe Jonathan Grenard is the ultimate weapon. That's going to decide this game. Does he play? Because if he does, it allows you to run stunts where you don't have to worry about not having Malik Collins out there because you have a forceful defensive end and a hyper-athletic one on the other side with Will Anderson. If he does play... I think Houston gets to, uh, to Gardner Minshew. I think that you see similar results of what we saw, but flipped at NRG, mm-hmm. where six sacks are potential, where 18 pressures are potential, where one interception thrown badly into coverage is potential. Even if Minshew throws for 275 yards, I think Houston wins. If Grenard doesn't play, I think Indianapolis wins because if I just don't think you're going to get enough pressure in the backfield on time. Okay. I'm kind of right there too. I mean, obviously don't know, you know, the, the depth of Jonathan Grenard, but in general, I think this winds up being a close one. Uh, I, I have the Colts winning by three, but it's yeah. a last team with the ball type of situation. Uh, if the Texans somehow get out to a big lead against the Colts, they're not coming back on that. The, the Colts offense just does not come back from those big deficits. They're just not built to Anthony Richardson could do it. We saw him come back from 20 points against the Rams earlier in the year. But when the Colts lose big, it's big the whole time. You know, uh, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Jacksonville earlier in the year. So if Houston can get a big lead, then I definitely like their chances. But in general, I think this is probably going to be more of a slugfest or more methodical from each team. Uh, Their offense is playing smart. You could say the same thing about Houston, though, too, because Mm -hmm. even though the score would differentiate what we saw against Cleveland, you got to remember, Cleveland was already up 30 to six when they pulled their starters and Davis Mills came in. So mm-hmm. that 30 to 14, 33 to 14 score isn't really as promising as it looks. It actually is more so you just getting points at the very end of the game. So it goes back to like, you know, we talk college football all the time. And I mentioned how Washington, one of the biggest question marks we have with them going into the, uh, the Sugar Bowl was were a lot of those yards just coming in late time games where you're just trying to run up the score. Is mm-hmm. that what it was? Where like at this point, it's just kind of game manage points. Like, like Blake Bortles was the ultimate fantasy quarterback yeah. because of the man would be down by like 20 points. Garbage they wouldn't time. pull him and he'd get garbage time touchdowns. And everyone knew what was going to happen. So the same thing could be said about Houston here, where if you don't pull the starters, and I don't think Indianapolis will because of they realize what type of talent Houston has and what type of talent they might be missing. If they don't pull the starters, you jump out to an early lead, I don't think Houston's going to be able to recover. They don't have a good enough running game right now outside of Devin Singletary for about a quarter and maybe two drives to where you feel confident in it. Interesting, because the Colts will not put the the, the foot on the gas. They are, just like uh, Shane Steichen has said, they throw to score, they they run to you know win and milk out the clock. They will play conservative if they get out to a big lead. Uh, so that's just kind of in, in Steichen's play calling DNA. So we'll see. Uh, but man, thanks so much for joining us, everybody on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. Uh, be sure to follow him, whether in defeat with the Texans or if you want to follow the Texans if they beat the Colts and see what they can do in the postseason. Perfect man for the job right there. Thanks again, man. Hey, Tom Jake. Best of luck to you guys on Saturday. You too.